0: This is Creator Talks, episode 13 with China Clugston Flores. Welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. This is a special Valentine's Day edition of the podcast. My guest is writer and artist, China Clugston Flores. China wrote and drew the mod style love hate story, Scooter Girl, back in 2003 while working for Oni Press. Today, Scooter Girl is back as a remastered trade paperback collection. All six of the original issues are fully colored and are being published as one trade paperback by Image Comics. Scooter Girl will be available in comic shops the day after Valentine's Day on February 15th. And if you don't frequent comic book stores, it's available in bookstores on February 21st. And it's just $14.99. That's $14.99 for all six issues remastered in one collection. And I have to say, the book was laugh-out-loud funny. It took twists and turns I did not expect, and before my interview, I had only read the first three chapters. I did finish the remaining three chapters after our interview, and I will talk about that after the podcast interview. I talked to China about the book's soundtrack. Yes, the book has a soundtrack, and I talked about that during our interview and what that means. We also talk about music from the 90s and some of our favorite live rock concerts we were lucky enough to attend. But there's more. Chyna and I also talk about her other work for Marvel, for Image, and of course her series Blue Monday, which she's working on right now. Blue Monday is China's passion project, and it too will be republished by Image Comics and continue to be published by Image Comics in the next volume, which is number three. And so here now is my interview with China Clungston-Flores on Scooter Grill, here now on Creator Talks. So let's talk about your book coming up. Sure. Actually, it's a re-release, but this is um, Scooter Girl. And uh, it starts out with the, the guy in the book, Ashton Archer. I was going to say the main character. He's not the main character at all, really, when you get down to it. Um, there's, there's two main characters, but we see a bit about Ashton what he's all about in the very beginning of the book. And then we get through his family tree to see how he's lived a charmed life and how the men in his family have lived a somewhat charmed life or have charmed their way through life. Until he runs into uh, Margaret Sheldon. And then he becomes a complete klutz. He can't do (laughs) anything right around her. He becomes just a complete idiot. Uh, yeah, and in the eyes of all of his friends too, so this is killing his reputation, which is killing him, because this is the one girl he can't have, and he's all about the conquest. How's that? Is that a decent summary? Yeah, that's,
1: that's accurate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's very entitled. <laughs> yes,
0: I hope I didn't like steal the thunder. Please elaborate on the book. I don't want to give away anything. You
1: know. No, no, I'm I'm actually I'm I'm kind of terrible at summing up my own work, so it's it's nice to to you know have somebody uh, be able to to do it. You know, um, I I get super uh just bumbled. You can hear it right now. I I, I'm like, I I you know it's got this thing going on and stuff's happening and you know just read it. <laughs> That's pretty much what it ends up being when I when I try to describe my stuff. So please please take it away. Like, oh sure. <laughs> you add.
0: Well, I, in all honesty, I've read half. I did not get through the entire thing yet, but I've read half. So that way, I'm not going to toss any spoilers out there. There's no way I can do it because I haven't read the very (laughs) end. Um, But what I did read, I went through the first three chapters, and I mean, parts of it are just laugh out loud funny, which, you know, for me... That's a sign of a great book because I don't always laugh out loud at something. Like inside, I'm chuckling. You know, I'm laughing. Yeah. But when something makes you go, ha, really loud, like, uh, oh, geez, just, you know, a couple of examples when Ashton, right in the beginning of the book, he's reading his father's collection of the family memoirs.
1: Yes. (laughs) And that's
0: how he learns about sex. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) they did that back then? Ew, nasty. And And then, of course, later in the book will be his grandfather. He was a pistol. Yes. He was something else. And that, that – another laugh out loud section. Um, but it's really – it's kind of neat. The Your art style is kind of like Archie anime mashup and the facial expressions are just hilarious. I mean not only is the dialogue funny but the facial expressions to match are just great. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> and this all started back in 2003, right? I mean this first came out as six issues. Yes. Under Oni Press. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I think the collection the first collection came out in 2004. So yeah, mm-hmm. 2003. I, I most of I always get uh, jumbled when it comes to when I start working on things, but it was probably around 2002, 2003 that I started really putting it together. And then yeah, 2003 I think is when the series started coming out as floppies. Um yeah, so it was just kind of uh based off of uh well, a lot of uh a mix of people that I met on the uh, the mod slash scooter scene in San Diego and, and just from watching them interact with each other and also, you know, uh, myself interacting with them and <laughs> just listening to all the crazy capers and, and, uh, and stories that they had, or, or just watching them in action as they did these things to each other too. You know, it's like, Hey, <laughs> like this, there's a lot of uh, good material here. And, and I think that I could probably come up with uh, some really interesting characters and, and kind of see what it'd be like if it got flipped back on them and, and so on. If that makes any sense, I don't know if it does.
0: Oh, no. Yeah, because I was going to say, did you ever meet people like this? Because you seem to capture the, uh, the spirit and the, uh, the personality of someone like that. So tell me about that scene uh, back in San Diego, the, the mod scene. What was that like? I mean, I'm not familiar with that. I'm on the East Coast. So uh, and I don't think I was into the scene back then. I was, I was doing other things. So tell us something about it.
1: Um, well, uh, a lot of it is, uh, you know, the modernist scene is based off of the uh, movement in the 1960s in England, specifically London, um, and, uh, you know, uh, it was all about, it was about fashion, it was about music, um, scooters were another accessory, Italian scooters, Lambrettas and Vespas, um, as a, a really cool mode of transportation, you look really great on them, um, it's, you know, easy to get around the city or even the suburbs and uh you know you spent all of your money on um going to shows and really good great clothes and uh you know you worked your your ass off during the week and then the weekends you just you just would do all-nighters and you know all these crazy things and you know or you go to brighton or you know (laughs) whatever you know you go to the seaside for the weekend or for the bank holiday and stuff and um it really resonated, that, that era, with uh, a lot of people, even after it was over, and there was a revival in the late 70s, especially around the time when uh, Bahoo's Quadrophenia, which is based on that scene, came out. The movie, I don't know if you've seen it before, um, but it's it's a really popular film, and uh, that caused the second revival, and it went along with a lot of uh, the uh, post-punk activity that was happening at the time. Um You know, so you had The the Jam, uh, bands like The Jam and uh, The Lambrettas, I think, was right around then, and Secret Affair. Um, And then there was a a third wave that came along, along with uh, the Britpop era um, in the mid-90s. And uh, that's when I got into it myself, you know, so I'm kind of a third waver. <laughs> and, and there were, you know, there's always been dance clubs and stuff, you know, that, that coincided with uh, these movements. And um, Southern California had a, a, just a big outburst of it, you know, mostly in L.A., but also in um, San Diego. But not to mention there's also San Francisco, too, which San Francisco, is, which is where the story starts. Roughly and then moves down to Southern California. So that Ashton Archer and Margaret Sheldon are on the scene there in San Diego where I was. And, um, you know, so a lot of these places that you see in the book are real places in San Diego and, and actual clubs that were happening, um, Specifically, and it's kind of funny here, uh, that the term hipster has become like this terrible, uh, it has this terrible connotation now, but back right. then, it referred to like the, you know, the weirdos of the 60s and stuff. So it wasn't like, you know, a mustachioed, you know, craft beer making, you know, dudes hanging out or anything. It's, it's supposed to represent. You know, the the funky go-go types that would, you know, hang out on the Sunset Strip or, or wherever, you know, or in, uh, you know, Carnaby Street. So, you know, <laughs> the name of the, ba- the club in there is probably going to throw people off now, you know, but when I wrote the book, it wasn't quite like that. But it, it was a club in San Diego that was run by, um, I believe, by a, a very famous Southern Californian who we all know uh, from down there, uh, Mike Stacks and his wife Anya um and they do all kinds of great stuff you know they have uh their own band and um the Loons. and uh they do shows still spin records you know so it was just it was a, it was a very lively scene and and to be able to to set a story there um among all of that was uh just something i felt like i really needed to do it was just it, i kind of wanted to record that period of, t- of time as well as make up fictional characters doing these things and and just have it all kind of together, you know, for myself as well as for, you know, other people who maybe could read it and be like, hey, I I remember that. I recognize that. So, yeah. (laughs) I (laughs) Uh, hope I answered your question. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you you did. That's cool because, I mean, I didn't know there was all those resurgences of the mod culture. My exposure to the mod culture was mainly through television, British television, of the the first period. And I'd see it in reruns, but things like... The Avengers. Not the Avengers we know today on the big screen, but the M.S. No, no, that's Steve and Peele. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Peel. and Peel. Uh, oh, you, yeah. know, you know, now when they publish books about the Avengers, they have to call it Steed and Peel. They don't call <laughs> it the Avengers. I've noticed that. I don't know if they, they can't do it or there's just too much confusion now, believe it or not. <laughs>
1: Probably,
0: because probably, <laughs> yeah. I had that stuff on disc, and I'm like, "Hey, son, you want to watch the Avengers? Oh, Iron Man? No, 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 no. This is Stephen Pale. We we can watch that one later. But this is something else." And he's just like confused. Um, and yeah. That <laughs> that and um, my dabbling in sci-fi with Doctor Who. That period with John Pertwee was very mod with Joe Grant and everything. She was like the mod girl. So, uh, oh,
1: right.
0: right. And there are there are other TV shows too, but that's that's really cool. And in the book, you even worked in. Songs very subtly, and uh, you know, some other writers have done that recently. I know some have done it in the past, but recently that's kind of taken a bit of a resurgence with uh, Spotify. People will put yeah. a, a playlist along, like uh, um, Alex DeCampi for Mayday has a playlist for her book, uh, Kyle Higgins has a playlist for Hadrian's Wall, and it's kind of nice because if you want to build your own playlist, you can, and the writer doesn't have to worry about Making a playlist or making a soundtrack, and and having to deal with all the copyright issues. This way, you can just go out and get it yourself, which is actually that's what I did. And now, I mean, now when you first wrote this, I don't even think we had uh, iTunes yet, did we?
1: I think it was just I think I, starting. I think, yeah, it was pretty early. Um, I think iTunes was there, but yeah, we didn't have Spotify or anything like right. that. And I've been I've, this has been a habit of mine for a long time, and um, I, I do it with you know I've done it with Blue Monday since I started that, and uh, but I, I got that. From uh, Love and Rockets and from Evan Dorkin's uh, Hectic Planet, you know, and I, I'm sure I saw it a couple of other places too, but I'm like, hey, that's a great because I want to do that, you know, and that's a great idea to be able to add a soundtrack to kind of just add to the layers of, uh, you know, experience of reading, you know, whatever specific comic book you have in your hand. It's, it's, it just makes it more fun. I think it's not, it's not necessary, but it's a fun option, you know? Um, so you know what the creator was listening to and, and the feel add to the feel of whatever specific scene that they're, uh, you know, they have that, uh, supposedly playing <laughs> during, you know? Yeah. I mean, I really like it because it exposes
0: me to some music I haven't heard before. Some of it I had, but a lot of it I hadn't. And I was like, oh man, this is great. So, Folks, it's awesome. worth taking the time just to just kind of jot those down and make your own little playlist and then read it again, listen to the playlist, because um, I always like it when I get something additional out of a book, and yours is one of those that takes me into that world through the music, and it becomes something that'll be in heavy rotation on my iPhone for a while. Awesome. I, mean, I mean, even like when, um, kind of related, when True Detective came out, the good one, the first season, um, I don't know if you ever saw that.
1: I like both of them. I really okay. do. Okay, I, sh- I struggle.
0: You know, my struggle with the second one because everyone talks so quietly. I, I can't hear. It was hard hear. to hear. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I, I know. I understand what you're saying. It was just. It was a very. Uh, yeah, you do have to strain a little bit to hear it. But you know, if you're able to to catch it all, I thought I thought it was really clever too. I know a lot of people are, are, are think it's a mixed bag, but I liked it. But yeah, number one, fantastic. Number two, I'm I'm totally on board for both of them. Yeah, well, the first one, no,
0: I was going to say the first one, they didn't have a soundtrack, so I went through and I found all the songs and built my own. And I I just, I played it to death. You know, I found online, like, what the songs were, and then I just pieced them together. Like, this is, this would make an awesome soundtrack. So, you know, that's something that that fans can do. But you can do that with this book, which is uh, really, really cool. And you mentioned, and I want to back up, because you mentioned uh, your previous work before Scooter Girl. That was uh, Blue Monday.
1: Yeah, and and I'm still doing it. It's just... uh, it had a, a hiccup <laughs> in uh, uh, being put out, but now it's, it's coming back. And um, actually, Image, is, Image Comics is in the process of uh, uh, letting me put out the old original books in color and remastered, just like we did with uh, uh, Scooter Girl. Oh. And, yeah, so I'm actually working on uh, getting number three out. With Jordi Belair, she is coloring. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Very lucky to have Jordi on board. And, uh, uh, yeah, so we're going to do volume three, volume four, and then... Um, the new stuff is coming out, uh, just as soon as possible. And that will also be obviously in color by Geordie. Um, and then, yeah, and then we had, uh, colors by, uh, by George, uh, I, I hope I'm saying his last name correctly. I've only read it. I haven't heard it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then he's, uh, he did a good job on, uh, uh Scooty Girl too. So it's, it's really great to get to see these old books come back out and, and actually be in color and, uh, hopefully, um, be able to attract a, a you know a, a new audience as well as the uh, uh, previous readers. So. Oh, so okay. So you answered
0: a question for me that I had was when I was I was going to say how was as I noticed in, in the credits it was remastered and I was going to say how was it remastered. So initially this was in black and white. Scooter Girl. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah.
1: Scooter Girl was in black and white and uh, yeah. Um, obviously the 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 covers the original covers when they came out in floppies were in color but of course you know when you print the entire um, uh, trade together, the covers or the chapter breaks are going to be in black and white. So it's really nice to get to see the, the original covers back in color again, too. You know. oh,
0: was uh, anything else done? Did you do any re-lettering? Or
1: any yeah. I, okay. I, uh, well, not a lot of re-lettering, um, but uh, the art, uh, I went back and cleaned up a bunch of it and, uh, you know, fixed some spots that were a little uh, rushed and stuff at the time. And, and so, and, you know, but still not compromising the original, uh, material, um, at least that, not too much, I don't think. And, um, just trying to make a cut, co- you know, gel together a bit better than it did the first time around. And I, I think, um, you know, editor Ian Shaughnessy and I did a, a pretty good job of, of making that happen. You know, um, I'm, we're, ha- we're happy with the result. <laughs> no, it <laughs> so. looks great. It and, really and does. Hey, you know this new this new version even has a really awesome uh, intro by um, the original editor Jamie S. Rich, who is now um, group editor, I believe, over at um, Vertigo. I, I believe that's the title, yeah, group editor. So you're just you're cool. just
0: teeing me up for the next question. <laughs> I just, no, sorry, no I know. Like you, your questions. <laughs> no, you're doing great. Because so I was <laughs> I was going to say so. Jamie S. Rich did the intro for your book, and he had a lot to say. What do you have to say about him? So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have folks he had a lot he had a really great funny intro uh about working with you um and and what do you have to say about him? Not a rebuttal, of course, but I'm just you know all in fun but you know, what was your experience working with Jamie back in the day
1: Jamie, I love working with Jamie, oh my God, I hope he doesn't listen to this because he's gonna get a big old fat head but um. <laughs> No, I I really had the best time working with Jamie. He ended up being, you know, not only a fantastic editor, and is a fantastic editor, but I also consider him one of my best friends, even though I actively am trying to bump him off, um, you know, as soon as possible. (laughs) That's just kind of how it goes with us. But, um, and I I think he actively hates me most of the time, but that's okay, because it just kind of (laughs) works. So you know it's it's pretty mutual i think so uh but yeah working with jamie's an absolute pleasure you know he's in a lot of ways he's hands off but he will step in and say hey you should try you know maybe doing this or or you know whatever and Um, but for the most part, he just allows you to, uh, be creative. And and when he does say something, it's because there might be an actual story problem or, you know, you might've missed something, you know, but he's not a, a meddling, you know, I have to have my hand in this and be obvious about it type of editor, which, you know, not most of them, you know, I imagine are not quite like that, but, you know, I just, I ended up being very lucky and, and, you know, he is, uh, definitely the kind to promote, um, the most creativity he can get out of his, uh, talent as possible. Um, so it's, it's great to be able to get to work with him. Those who have had a chance to, I think would probably agree except for <laughs> maybe in the most odd of cases, but yeah, you know, he's, he's a good egg. So yeah. Uh, but forget everything I just said, he's terrible. And <laughs> I, you know, I didn't, I didn't say anything. Just scrape all that out of your memory and I hate him. So <laughs>
0: Well, let's go a little further back in the Wayback Machine and how you got on the path of being a storyteller. When did you decide to do that? What made you take that path to start writing and drawing?
1: Uh, I I was roughly around five years old, and I decided that I wanted to be, as I termed it, a cartoon drawer because, you know, obviously I didn't have uh, the verbal skills <laughs> that I have now, haha. ha. <laughs> But, you know, I wanted to be a cartoonist. I don't know how I got that idea. I know I was watching uh, Warner Brothers. I was watching Archie um, cartoon reruns, I think, at the time. And um, I would get a hold of Archie Comics, things like that. And I was just – I was surrounded by a lot of that uh, sort of thing, some comic books and Mad Magazine and – I really liked humor. I liked writing. I liked drawing. And, you know, even, even at a young age, I was, you know, coming up with stories, even though, um, they weren't necessarily written out, they were drawn out, you know? So it just, it came really natural, I guess. And, uh, I, I I don't know much beyond that. I just know that I was drawing as soon as I could pick up a pencil and it kind of went from there, I guess. Um, (laughs) yeah. So it just, I stuck with that and, um, I didn't really think I'd do anything besides animate, though, until uh, I, I ended up in high school and, and realized um, that uh, animators don't necessarily have uh, a lot of freedom, um, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of anti-authoritarian, so I'd probably do better working on my own <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> more often. Um, you know, I don't mind being part of a team, but I, I, I do love the creative freedom that comes with being a, a comic creator, so... It took a, a a tiny bit of time to f- figure that out, but pretty much right after high school, I realized that I was going to try to get into comics, or, or right around my senior year. And uh, um, that's just the direction it went, so <laughs> <And> <laughs> for good you, or bad.
0: <laughs> well, apparently for the good, from what I can see in Scooter Girl. Did you have any formal training um, with art, uh, cartooning?
1: No. No? no, not beyond high school. And even then, I, I didn't get a lot of instruction in high school. I just kind of uh, was off on my own, doing my own thing. Um, I, I wanted to go to art school. I I didn't get a chance to. I actually got um, re- rejected from the Summer School of the Arts for animation, and that really was depressing. And, and I think that was also a turning point, too, where I said, well, you know, screw you guys, I'm going to make comics. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I, I just thought, well... You know, I wasn't anywhere near, like, the Kubert School or anything like that. And um, I would have really liked to go to uh, CalArts, Valencia. Thank you. Um, (laughs) But but I just – I didn't have a a college fund or anything. So Mm -hmm. I just assumed, well, if I don't have one of those and if I don't want to go into massive debt for the rest of my life, I better just go into the workforce and do it the hard way. And so that's what I did. I went into the workforce and made comics on the side and started going to comic conventions once I found out, you know, what – that they existed, I didn't know until about I was eighteen or nineteen that they existed. <laughs> and I went to WonderCon, that was my first one when it was still in Oakland. Um and I think that was where I met Bob Shrek and um, Bernie Wrightson actually pointed me in his direction, I, I and of all oh, people. Wow. You know, like, thanks. You know? <laughs> He was really nice to me. I, I knew kind of who he was, but <laughs> I was like, would you look at my portfolio? And I, <laughs> I can't believe I did that to this day. I can't believe I showed Bernie Wrightson in my terrible, terrible portfolio, but I did. And he's like, go talk to Bob Shrek And I'm like, okay. So... <laughs> And then Bob was really nice, and Bob ended up being how I met Jamie. Jamie was uh, his assistant, or an assistant editor at Dark Horse at the time. Eventually ended up, uh, he wrote to me, um, when, you know, I think Bob was too busy, and so Jamie took over and was like, hey, you know, and um, ended up forming a, a sort of, uh, work relationship where he'd look at my portfolio and say, no you need more work and i'd come back year after year and he'd be like all right you're getting better and then finally i got to the point where and i don't know how many years this was before this happened it's probably somewhere between like maybe three to five years <laughs> and he said okay i think you'd be ready to to publish i'll, I'll figure something out so
0: <laughs> and did that yeah. start in the pages of um, dark horse presents or was that just yeah. oh, okay
1: yeah, yeah. He, I think he mentions. Yeah, he mentions that in the uh, the intro. That's what um, I thought. Yeah, was kind of an F you to uh, <laughs> the right. dark person put me in. There, oh, thanks. You know, yeah. But you know. Well,
0: it's it's a great tryout book. I mean, because you'll see some big oh, names yeah. even today. You'll see big names in there, and you'll see people that you might not be familiar with. And that way, you get a shot at someone reading it if you're mixed in with other well-known writers and artists. I mean. It's a oh, cool.
1: absolutely, absolutely. But his whole point was to you know just put me <laughs> oh, in there, sure. to irritate everybody else. You know. <laughs> yeah well that that, that worked out really well and then um then dark horse you know was like what what is this and uh so i was lucky enough to uh uh you know run into uh sarah dyer when she was doing action girl and she was willing to put out some of my stories uh with slave labor um and then finally uh once jamie went to oni press then uh, it came up again, you know, my book. And so they tried um, having me in a uh, only press double feature. I think it was number 11. So it was a uh, half of that book and then it went over really well. So they went ahead and, and offered me the, the chance to do um, the miniseries, the first miniseries. So, and it went from there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who else influenced you in terms of your work, your style?
1: My style? Um Deadline Magazine had uh, Philip Bond and Jamie Hewlett and uh, Nabil Kanin and uh, just all kinds of crazy people in there and uh, fantastic stuff. And so that was a huge influence. Uh, I think I started reading Deadline around 1989. Um, Adam Warren, his uh, version of The Dirty Pair. Um, Evan Dorkin, huge influence um, with uh, Hectic Planet and uh, eventually Milk and Cheese, you know, (laughs) and then – Uh, Oh, gosh, uh, Love and Rockets, Jaime Mm -hmm. Hernandez, um, and Gilbert, and, uh, you know, uh, and another huge influence that actually started around 89 was uh, Rumiko Takahashi, who um, I'm sure a lot of people know did uh, LUM or Urusei Yatsura, and uh, Meizanikoku which is my all-time favorite comic series. Um, and uh, yeah, so just, there's so many influences, mostly European, American indie, and Japanese uh, cartoonists, um, mm-hmm. along with uh, people like Edward Gorey and Charles Adams thrown in there.
0: <laughs> and that's what makes your work so distinct. I mean, you didn't follow mainstream. When I say mainstream, I'm thinking like, you know, big two writers and artists from Marvel and DC, and even in the early days of Image, they – dominated the scene but breaking out by doing and doing something different and being influenced by such a diverse group of people really helped you get your own voice and made this such a a good book that it's back now years later picked up by image that's that's quite a coup
1: it's it's amazing that that happened i still can't wrap my head around it (laughs) i'm so thankful
0: (laughs) now i don't mean to put you on the spot but could you tell me about blue monday i'm not familiar with it and i know you said it's coming back. And, yeah. you know, Image is going to bring yeah. it back a trade. So give us the idea of what's behind it.
1: Well, Volumes 1 and 2 are out right now, um, uh, you know, remastered. Uh, originally it came out in uh, uh, comic form uh, in a trade paperback form from uh, Oni in 2000. Uh, but now it's in color through Image. And that is – I always have described it, and anybody who knows my books will have heard has heard me say this time and time again. It's kind of like Archie on crack. It's like Savage Steve Holland. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Savage Steve Holland and and John Hughes got together and had a little baby. Uh, It's it's a teenage, um, uh, coming-of-age story that takes place in the early 90s in uh, Northern California um, in a kind of a a podunk, you know, town. Um, They're stuck in high school. It's a handful of weirdo kids, uh, you know, surrounded by, um, (laughs) you know, a bunch of, like, cowboys and you know just uh people that they re- really don't fit in with but um one of them the lead character is named blue finnegan and she was born about 10 years too late she's obsessed with uh uh not only mod stuff but um the new romantic movement and uh um like adamant specifically yes and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, was, first... I, was, I was a big fan oh <laughs> 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 <Yay>! <laughs> so, yeah yeah um but yeah the first issue revolves around or the first uh uh, series revolves around blue trying to win tickets to an adamant concert now it's roughly around like 1990 ish 91 so um but i always say somewhere in the early 1990s so i don't have to follow an exact year (laughs) but uh it's uh right around his wonderful tour and she's trying to catch him um you know and get into his concert but it's it's just kind of crazy in the meantime she develops this uh crush on a substitute teacher that comes to, you know, her school and, you know, her friends, which are, are, you know, not just girls, but also boys that are, you know, constantly crushing on each other and also, you know, uh, uh, fighting each other, pulling pranks and stuff, you know, it's just this big, crazy uh, romp. And, uh, but yeah, just total comedy, lots of slapstick comedy and uh, also has a soundtrack, which I am biased, but it is awesome, and you know should definitely be looked <laughs> up. So.
0: <laughs> and, and so this uh, this story is going to stay set in the nineties, then.
1: Yeah, early yeah, somewhere okay. in the early nineties. Yeah, it's roughly roughly starts probably around I'd say about ninety ninety one. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah exactly. I graduated myself in nineteen ninety three. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Wow,
0: that made me think of uh, when you mentioned Adamant, I was like, wow, I was a big fan of Adamant. And uh, you mentioned the Wonderful Tour, um, which I yeah. – was that in the late 90s? That no, there? no, that those are, those was are oh, early Oh, was it days.
1: really? Because yeah. he did a song called it, Wonderful yeah. Later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was right around 93 is when that album came out, I believe. And then I think uh, Manners and Physique came out around 89, 90. Okay. Uh, right in there, so
0: yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of his early days when I I used to –
1: that's, you know what it wasn't the wonderful tour that she's trying to get in on it's the uh, it's manners and physique I don't know why I was facing okay. that I think because she mentions wonderful later but it was not in reference to the actual album it's to yeah ah, anyway
0: <laughs> gotcha no I was because I was thinking when I first saw Adamant that was back in the early days of MTV when they actually played music videos um,
1: yeah <laughs> and
0: they would be bands like that were not on top forty radio but they would be popping up on MTV because it had a great video. And that I got exposed to all this music that I love that I just just didn't hear on the radio. And Adamant was one of the my favorites because of the course the act. Uh, You know, Prince Charming came next after the first album. I was waking up one morning and the radio went off and they were playing that song "Wonderful" that Adamant sang. And I didn't know who was singing it. And then as the song ended, the DJ said, "That's Adamant," and I was like, "What?" really if, that was, it was a different sound it was, it was sound. but i was like oh my god he's so good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry to go back down memory lane there but that that brought back some uh happy memories of adamant i remember he, no, no, he that's classic. i have seen. i never saw him live but he um he had a special on hbo i think it was or mtv one of the other they had a full concert him in concert with the band back in the early 80s that was really really cool to see quite a stage oh, show I-
1: well, he's, he's actually um, on tour right now. Um, I'm supposed to see him on February 18th in San Diego. Um, he's doing the Kings of the Wild Frontier tour. Um, and you're so going. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, got to, I got to see him twice before, um, since 2012. and uh, But this is, I think, the first time he's going to be doing Kings of the Wild Frontier since it originally came out. And I am psyched, I can tell you. <laughs>
0: Let me digress for so, a bit. Who else have you seen on tour?
1: Other oh, bands. Uh, my first major com, uh, concert was In uh, Excess on the Kick tour, mm. and that was amazing. That was a really, really great show. Um, I've seen all kinds of people. There. I saw Material Issue. I saw Peter Murphy. Um, I've seen Devo. Um, I've seen Franz Ferdinand. I've seen <laughs> God, I don't even know where to begin. I, I got to see Johnny Marr last year. He was actually in Fresno of all places. That was amazing. And he was really, really cool. Um, my God, I've seen, uh, The Cure, Depeche Mode several times, which is probably my all time favorite band. Um, yeah, there's a, a ton of people, some in festivals, some in, I've seen Supergrass, I've seen James and, uh, Blur a bunch, and uh, I never did see Oasis. um but I did. I've seen, I've seen them. Oh, Yo, you did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I saw them. Uh, <laughs> uh,
0: what
1: was that? It was the one
0: after uh Wonderwall, Morning Glory. What's the story? that's the story about? That's a great. That's that's the tour I saw them on.
1: Yeah, ah, that's they were playing great. in
0: Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It's a great show. wow. Oh, <laughs> That's fantastic. The first concert I ever went to well, my parents took me. I was I was little. And uh it's it's a good story because it's like I went to see Na Anna. You ever hear of that? No.
1: yes, that's so cool. <laughs> yes. We saw Shana. Anna.
0: They were on television at the time. And uh it was, you know, the, my parents crowd and I went along and guess who the opening act was? Who? Andy Kaufman. What? I'm not kidding.
1: What? Oh my God. He, and he
0: came out and he's like, thank you very much. And he's doing this Lodka thing and he's, oh. and he's play, telling all these really bad jokes and doing bad impersonations. And the audience is kind of like, yeah, oh, yeah. And they're like, then why is he here? Which is what Andy would do. Like, he'd see who was left. Right? It's his thing. Yeah, yeah. it's his thing. And I was like, why is he here? And then he, he says, now I want to do Elvis. And he turns around, combs the hair, and they're playing the music. And he turns around and says, thank you very much. And he does a dead on Elvis. And did one hell of a show of Elvis songs. And oh. he had the whole audience was like swaying and singing. He turned them right around. It's like, oh, that's why he's that's here. Yeah. yeah. I think I still have the program somewhere. I think I have two copies. <laughs> oh
1: my God. That, is, that is amazing. I had no idea
0: he ever opened for Sean Enough. Sean know. That was like <laughs>
1: 1978.
0: My first I gonna, concert. I was going
1: to ask it. It had to have been right around there. Oh, yeah. that's amazing.
0: Yeah, it was really cool. And, oh, you're lucky. <laughs> and the other ones I I saw. Um, these are other strange. I saw the monkeys on a tour. Ah, guess who? So cool. Guess who for them? Who? Weird Al.
1: Yes, <laughs> I love Weird Al. He came out doing
0: like a surgeon. <laughs> oh,
1: that's amazing. <laughs> I'm
0: trying to think. Um, uh, and and one of my favorites. I don't know if you're a fan. I've seen David Bowie five times.
1: Uh so lucky! I never got to see David Bowie. I'm dying to see uh, Brian Ferry. I still have not Ooh. gotten to see Brian Ferry. Oh, uh, I you know, got to. <laughs> not only
0: not only did I see David Bowie, but I saw him as Tim Machine. Oh wow! With, with the Sales Brothers, you, you know the Sales Brothers are Soupy Sales' sons, the comedian, the, nice. the bass player, and the drummer.
1: <laughs> oh, I had my that's crazy. <laughs>
0: oh anyway we're just kind of digressing all over the place but back to comics um so you're working on now blue monday is that what you're currently writing and drawing okay
1: yeah i'm writing on on new blue monday right now and also cleaning up uh and remastering the um uh, volume three and about to go on to volume four pretty quick here um, yeah so just a, a lot of like a mass of work at once but um yeah hopefully uh people will enjoy it and, and really hope that people pick it up you know that'd be great
0: <laughs> so that's what you're going to be doing for the foreseeable future is continue to work on blue monday just ongoing writing new stories yeah, and drawing
1: i hope so i hope so um that's the that's the plan and hopefully i can uh i'll be able to do that it, um I don't know what I'd be doing otherwise <laughs> you know? but, I mean I do various other projects that come in mm-hmm. at random but for, for the most part yeah I'd like to really get back into um, doing Blue Monday and, and, and bringing it to my um, original vision of what I wanted it to be you know so that would be that would be nice
0: what other projects have you worked on that have come into as they say keep the lights on
1: um, it, you know, it'd be a lot of, uh, short stuff. Um, but I, I did recently do, I, I, wrote the, um, Lumberjanes Gotham Academy crossover, okay. uh, that came out in the summer. Um, that was, that was fun. And, um, the, uh, trade is actually coming out in March. So we're looking forward to that being released. Um, I did a short page, a short 10 page story for Deadpool. Um, which appeared in the uh, Gwenpool uh, Mary Mixup that came out in December. Um, that was a lot of fun, and you know, just just random stuff like that. Uh, I'll do some covers now and then. I I just did a cover for um, the Wicked and the Divine number twenty seven for Women's History Month, um, which is which is great. You can still order that actually as of this moment that we're speaking, um, and uh, all proceeds from that variant will go to Planned Parenthood. Um, and then, uh, I am, uh, just doing a bunch of random stuff right now. So along with the Blue Monday, um, uh, the new Blue Monday series, uh, Thieves Like Us, which will finally be coming out <laughs> after a lot of, uh, you know, starting and stopping, but you know, no, it's, it's, it is definitely, you know, on the way. So um, I'm very happy about that.
0: Well, your other projects that you've been working on have big fan followings. I mean, Wicked and Divine and Lumberjanes are very popular. I mean, I hear them mentioned all the time when I'm in the comic shop. You know, yeah, they they, they love cheer. them you know yeah so great job with those uh getting those jobs um mm-hmm. what is your dream project what did you what if besides and i'm sure you could probably say blue monday but if you had <laughs> no barriers and can work with anyone or do whatever you wanted to do outside of blue monday what would be your dream project
1: outside of blue monday i have gosh i really... never thought about it huh <laughs> <laughs> no, not really, because that's, that's been my goal is just to be able to work on, on that and, and be able to, uh, you know, do stuff like merch and and even like, um, you know, uh, single uh, page strips and stuff to put up at random. And, you know, just to be able to produce a lot more than I have been. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, way more production, really. and uh, But other than that, I think the thing that I really want to do is still learn how to animate. So that I could do short uh, or do cartoon shorts, just for you know the hell of it. I, I would love to be able to do that. Maybe even submit them to you know festivals or something, just for fun to see how they would do. But that would take a lot. I, I just I love that um, Jamie Hewlett uh, went from comics to gorillas and uh, you know did all that amazing animation, and and he just he was already an awesome artist, and he just. Did, went you know leaps and bounds and and you know now is just like blows my mind and I I would just kill to be able to do something like that but to actually be able to work with somebody specific there's so many creators out there that I love that I would uh, absolutely love a chance to get to work with on something I, I I'm not even sure where to begin <laughs> you know people like uh, Mike Allred or, or mm. Evan Dorky or you yeah. know Adam Warren or gosh you know I'd love to be able to you know, do more work with um, Kieran Gillen and and Jamie McKelvey and, you know, people like that, I would really like to be able to write something um, for uh, Amy Reeder or Becky Clunan or both, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, given the chance that I would kill for that. But, you know, we'll see. Who knows? You know, future's unwritten. So.
0: Now, we've never met before this conversation, and I didn't know about your background in art and animation. And I swear, I wrote down here as one of my questions, how about an animated Scooter Girl series? <laughs> Not knowing that you even wanted to work in animation, do you think that could ever happen?
1: It could happen if it would be on uh, a, a cable network that didn't mind about cursing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, just, I, I can't stand the idea, really, of... of you know, cleaned up, quote unquote, cleaned up versions of, okay. of series, you know, like, I mean, I, I could do it, but it would take away some of the funny. And I'm not saying that you can't be funny without cursing. That's not true, you know, but I, I think that it takes away a lot of the realism um, and grounding that that uh, some of the dialogue adds to these, you know, s- stories. So I have a, a hard time seeing that outside of, you um, I don't, I don't even know. Who, maybe Netflix or somebody would would be down with that. But um, I'd be willing to to give it a shot. Yeah, I, I wonder just, if Cartoon
0: like, Network would do something like that on Adult Swim. Aren't they fairly? Yeah. You know, like I'm thinking Venture Brothers
1: stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, except I think I could be wrong, but isn't Adult Swim the one the 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 company that doesn't want anything to do with female creators? Oh, really? I there did were, I, not I, I know that. I, I think it was Adult Swim. The the uh, the person who runs or mostly runs that that was uh, saying that they just didn't really have a place for us as if we're a genre in ourselves. So, that's
0: pretty <laughs> unbelievable that they would say something like that.
1: I, I you know I'd, I'd like to think that that's not actually true but I, and and again forgive me if I I'm, I'm citing the wrong um uh company but there was there was somebody pretty mm-hmm. high up there that was uh spouting off something like that recently. So that's uh that was disappointing to hear. <laughs>
0: Wow. Well, maybe it will be Netflix then someday.
1: Yeah, here's hoping. I would love to. You know, same thing with Blue Monday. You know, they're teenagers, and yeah. they're like, hey, I've had people talk to me about it before, and they're like, you know, would you want to do something for like a network? And it's like, nah, not really, if they were going to go around and and try to, you know, make it homogenized and boring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the
0: other thing too is when you relinquish your baby to somebody else. To oversee it. I mean, because yeah. you, you have pretty much full editorial control on your book. I mean, you're not, yeah. you, you get some you know, helpful corrections, but no one's telling you how to write and how to draw and, no. and where to draw no. the line. If you hand it over to somebody else and, you know, for a check, you know, you just sign away the rights or whatever, however the deals work, then you, got, you, you might not get what, what you want to see on the screen. And that's, that's got to be way less than satisfactory. I'm sure that, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, if that was if that was ever even something that would be an option, I don't think I could ever do that with Blue Monday to the point where I would lose final say over what would end up on either the small screen or big screen. Yeah. Um, just because that's the that's the one thing that's very very personal to me is Blue Monday, and, and I wouldn't want to see it completely destroyed. I guess. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, maybe some of my other properties I would be able to let go of a bit more, but even at the same time, like say with Scooter Girl, if they got like, I- I'm okay with myself getting some stuff wrong because that's just, you know, it-, it accidentally happens now and then, but to have say a network or something get, um, modernism wrong to get the mod scene wrong mm-hmm. Scooter wrong that would just be really painful and then of course people would attribute it to me screwing up and be like no no (laughs) you know so if anybody's going to screw my stuff up i I hope it's me and not just some suit you know (laughs) (laughs) executive who just doesn't care like ah whatever you know let me screw it up not somebody else (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: let me ask you as we we begin to wrap up here what are you reading now that maybe um, our listeners might want to check out besides your own work of course scooter girl and blue monday
1: Oh, well, I've been going back and reading more Wicked and Divine um, because, obviously, I was like, oh, I got the cover. I'm like, oh, I want to go back and read this. And um, they, they sent me a couple of PDFs, too, so I could catch up. I, I'm not able to get to uh, uh, the comic. I'm like an hour away from a comic oh,
0: shop. Oh, okay. So
1: it's hard for me to get down there and, and buy new stuff. And, and I feel terrible, but I just I just have not had the ability. Um, so, yeah, I've been uh, reading uh Wicked and Divine, um, some saga. Um, as far as uh, uh, novels go, I'm rereading um, Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three um, by Stephen King. Oh yes, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know fantastic and um, also feels a little relevant to now, <laughs> which is, it's kind of hard to describe. But you know, um, if you've read the book, then it's just. The whole time travel, uh, stopping terrible things is the, you know before they happen ideas is kind of nice, um, and then uh, I'm reading some classics like uh, Oliver Twist and, um, gosh, just I'm all over the place. So. <laughs> <laughs> I usually have about, like, five, six books open at the same time. I just go between them. So. That's, that's like,
0: my reading pile. I'll I'll read this one. This one's more, like, a history-type book. Another one will be a novel. Another one will be a, a trade paperback. I'm kind of jumping back and forth whenever I can you know, get to them, plus my weekly comics, which I'm not too far from a comic shop, so I, I go in every week, so I'm keeping up with that, too. Oh, um, yeah, so you probably have a huge stack of comics, that so you're like, yeah, I still got to get through that. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> and, you know, when I – they talk to my guests. I always like to read their work. I put that ahead of the pile, even stuff that just comes out. I, I got to read this, you know, cause I want to get a real feel for the work. Um, and, and which is great cause it exposes me to so many different writers and artists that I wouldn't know about otherwise. And now hopefully others will too. That's the, yeah. uh, that's the whole idea. <laughs> Are
1: you well, I'm sure? I'm not sure if you've, uh, gotten to the part where uh, scooter girl makes a a turn but I, I hope you do finish it because i think it'll surprise you where it goes
0: <laughs> okay yeah I, d- I finished the first three sections and uh, archer decides what he has to do to end the okay. curse that's where i am okay. right now
1: okay yeah so <laughs> you're getting sort of an idea of what's happening then. yes
0: yeah. <laughs> okay. um now are you going to be on the convention circuit because we're getting close to convention season again do you get a chance to get out much and see other creators and meet the public
1: you know that's a good question i mean honestly it comes down to how my schedule falls and and also how my payments fall mm, <laughs> you know yeah,
0: it's expensive day.
1: Well, you can't always plan, um, uh, you know, because you don't know necessarily exactly when uh, you're going to get paid for a specific project. You know, you have a general idea. It might be a month. It might be two weeks. It might be three months. You never know. So sometimes it makes it difficult to plan when you're living paycheck to paycheck, which a lot of us do. So um, at this point, the plan is hopefully San Diego Comic-Con. I usually am able to make it to that. I think I've only missed one year in the last 21 um, or 22 years, something like that. Um, but uh, I'd like to try to get to WonderCon. Not sure about that. And uh, but I will be at Free Comic Book Day um, at Comics Tunes and Toys and Test in California. So hopefully, if anybody's down there and listening, they can come and visit. And I believe, what is it this year? Is it May 5th or?
0: It is the first Saturday in May.
1: Yeah, first Saturday in May. I'm not sure the exact date. this that
0: year. is going to be. Listen to me flipping through a paper calendar.
1: <laughs>
0: May 6th. That'll be May, May 6th. 6th.
1: Great. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, so definitely making that and uh, hoping to make San Diego Comic-Con, maybe, maybe WonderCon if I'm lucky. I'm not sure. If anything else comes up, though, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is China Syndrome, and uh, I'll, I'll say something on there about that. I'm also on Facebook, so pretty easy to find. <laughs>
0: Okay, and just again to reiterate, Scooter Girl is coming out on, it's February 15th?
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, day after Valentine's Day. So, you know, if, if that, you know, jerky, uh, uh you know, <laughs> person in the relationship you're with hasn't gotten you anything the day before, you say, hey, this is a, a, a tale of caution here and <laughs> you're know, a Scooter Girl for you. And it's only I think a lot of people don't realize that yeah. yeah that that the main character or one of the main characters is a, a, a dude that's actually narrating the stories. <laughs> so yes, I think that surprises people too. They think Girl sounds kind of cutesy um it's not <laughs> it's not cute at all.
0: <laughs> no, but it's great. I mean that and it's funny, and I think people will get a big kick out of it and they should definitely put that on the reading list. so that'll be coming out on the fifteenth and it's only 14 ninety nine right I believe
1: yes yeah, so that that's, that's you know
0: that's a great deal.
1: And this is like six comic books in one trade. Yeah, and a bit of uh, additional material. And uh, again, a a really nice yet snotty but nice uh, intro (laughs) from the original editor. It it
0: really is. That's also Laugh Out Loud, by the way. So uh, (laughs) I I, I think he's kidding.
1: (laughs) Kind of, not really. Kind of, (laughs) of not really. Yeah,
0: yeah, I kind of see a love hate relationship there. but yeah yeah, definitely (laughs) check it out and uh thank you for joining us you've been a great guest Um, thank
1: you you for having me on this has been this
0: has been great and that's my interview with china clungston flores and i hope to have her on another show in the future to talk about blue monday in more detail you can get the first volume of blue monday through image comics and it's just 9.99 for volume one the kids are all right i did finish the last three chapters of scooter girl and it went someplace I did not expect I did not see it coming it was a great finish to the book and I urge you to check it out read it I think you're gonna really enjoy it it's definitely a classic for a related blog about this interview and future interviews you can go to my website creatorTalks.com that's creatorTalks.com and you can reach me through Facebook at CreatorTalksPod or even easier through Twitter at CreatorTalksPod that's on Twitter at CreatorTalksPod If you have any questions about the show or about the blogs just shoot me a quick message i already have more great interviews wrapped up ready to go for later this week and next week and more great guests coming your way i know you have a lot of podcasts to choose from and i thank you for choosing this one for creator talks i'm your host christopher calloway and until next time